I am Helen. I'm a compulsive overeater. I'm on the program committee with two other wonderful people, Stephanie, who I don't see, and Frank in the back there. We've lined up all your wonderful speakers for you, and so far they've just been absolutely amazing. Um, So, please join me in welcoming our first speaker, Domingo from Orange County. All right, thank you. Let me get comfortable here real quick. Hi, everybody. My name is Domingo. I'm a compulsive overeater. Hi, and it's uh, really good to be here. Thank you to um, Frank and uh, Stephanie for asking me to come here and uh, share my experience, strength, and hope. And, uh, you know, it's, it was just my turn. I, uh, I was, I'm happy to be of service, and thankfully... Um, I think the first thing I want to say is how much I appreciate uh, being asked to be of service and how important service is. Um, I have been, my recovery has been saved so many times by somebody asking me to do something or somebody making an outreach call. And I just want to kind of give a plug in for service, how important it is. Um, I think somebody's doing me a service when they pick up the phone, but when I get a phone call from somebody, I, uh, it's really been a lifesaver in my program. So I really appreciate it. So, um, my name is Domingo. I'm a compulsive overeater. My abstinence date is March 30th, 2009. Since that day, I've been relieved of over 114 and a half pounds. And yeah, thankfully, uh, from as a result of you know following the 12 steps. Thank you to my program. Thank you uh, for this program. Thank you for my, to my higher power and all the fellowship and many of the people. Um, I thankfully see in this room that have been part of my recovery. I'm really appreciative of that. Um, I've just, as of late, you know, I've just been really just kind of giddy, happy in a way, thinking about how there's a whole program just for my compulsive over, I mean, for our compulsive overeating. And and, um, I was sharing the other day how it wasn't like that before. You know, before I realized what was happening to me, you know, I went, I didn't come in until I was just over 40 Um, and, uh, you know, I spent all those years trying to figure out what was going on, why I couldn't lose weight, a big part of my story. And I think I'll stick to the basics. I'll talk about what it was like, what happened to me and what I'm like today. But there were many years, I mean, it didn't take, I was just baffled. I didn't understand why all the exercise I was doing, why all the, you know, trying to do creative things with my food didn't work and, and keeping my weight down. So, I'll talk a little bit about what it was like. I'm certainly um, thankful that you guys are all here. And I was definitely nervous but um, about sharing tonight, but my higher power, uh, I got to give the biggest shout out to the hospitality room. They have um, scented candles over there and uh, puzzles. And uh, if you're looking for a nice place to relax and get your mind off stuff, you know, just head on up there. It's really great. But what it was like, so, you know, I um, came from uh, a, point, a part of my life that I was very uncomfortable. I mean, from a very young age, I just wasn't comfortable with, uh, I mean, just the basic stuff with existing, with being a human being, with, uh, you know, I was upset and resentful that, you know, nobody asked my vote on who my parents would be, where I would grow up, you know, none of that stuff. And it was, it, I was, so I was upset from a very young age, and, um, and uncomfortable with myself and uh, people around me, and I don't know what happened, you know, the only thing, the earliest I can point out to is, you know, sometime around between first and second grade during summertime, um, I wasn't a too heavy a, of a child, I think I was a little, ch- I was husky, they called it back then, they, I even had the pants to prove it, I was a husky kid, and uh, the ones that make the noise when you walk, you know, when the corduroy, and um, I was, uh, I, one summer, I just was more interested in being in the kitchen eating um, hot dogs, boiling hot dogs, and I was going out and playing with my friends. I don't know what happened. I don't know if there was a traumatic experience, but all I know is that I spent most of my summer doing that. 
And uh, when I came back, that was the first time that I became really conscious of like my body and how other people perceive me. Because I got those, you know, everybody else was like, hey, what'd you do over the weekend? You know, I went to camp. I did this, this. For me, it was always, you know, I got like multiple, like eyes wide open. Like, what happened to you? You know, like, like what, what, you know, what happened? Are you okay? You know, I got, and that's when I started feeling really super conscious about my body and my weight. And um, I always had felt kind of outside, but this was the first time that I thought I started needing to take steps to it. You know, so I started compulsively over-exercising as well as overeating because letting go of the food wasn't an option. I thought, you know what I mean? It just wasn't. Like, I tried everything, and I, you know, I'm not a big restrictor. What I, I was willing to work as hard as I needed to work to be able to eat as much as I felt I needed to eat. Like, you know, nothing, I didn't let, I think I only restricted for like a week and a half during high school, and then that was it. The rest of the time, and I'm not a big binger either, but I just like to eat all the time. It's just, there's no bad reason not to eat. You know, it's always a good idea for another meal. So, um, so when I, and when I first came in, I'll, I'll say that, you know, when I heard, you know, three meals a day and nothing in between, that was like pretty miraculous to me, but I'll get, I'll get to that. And so, um, and so that, that started the lifelong, you know, venture, you know, striving to try to control my weight and a lot of exercising, a lot of doing creative dramatic stuff you know these they have a lot of stuff going on now they have ultra marathons they have um uh and there's nothing wrong with them i'm just saying what they didn't have this you know when i was growing up you know um they didn't have like you know you ride your bike from the from the northern california down to the border of mexico but i mean those i had those ideas when i was growing growing up you know i wanted to do that type because i wanted to get it all off and get it all off now and i would i was willing to work for it but and that worked for a little while. I did. I even wanted to like I I would do these fantasies. Like I wanted to go to prison, but nothing bad enough where I would be with the general population and I would be let go after a certain time. But where they I would be locked in in a place where somebody fed me and I couldn't I couldn't be around food, you know. And I didn't have to work and have responsibilities either. I mean, you know that was that would have been like a plus to me. But. But that's how crazy I am as a compulsive overeater, that those seem like, you know, good ideas, you know, um, to me. I joined the Marine Corps to be able to uh, lose weight. I did, a, I did a lot of things, you know, I did a lot of hours of just um, working out on myself, uh, 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 you know, on my own. And it was, it was all isolation, you know, it was all, if I, if, when I wasn't compulsively overeating by myself, um, I was, you know, compulsively over, you know, exercising, like an exercise bulimia. I was doing, and it was all like, you know, I, you may have heard it many times before, but it was always for the future. You know, I got to prepare myself. I'm not good enough. Someday I'll have, you know, I'll look the certain way. So I'll be able to get the girl. I'll be able to have the friends. I'll be able to feel good about myself on and on and on and on. And, and, and compulsive overeating and, and exercise bulimia just never did that for me. So, by the way, do we have a timer? I forgot to ask. Oh, okay. Okay, sounds good. Thank you. Thanks. No worries. Okay. <laughs> so, I just want to stay on track a little bit. Yeah, so th- what other things that I do? Um, you know, well, I'll talk about why compulsive overeating doesn't work for me. I mean... I mean, believe me, and I'm still a compulsive overeater, and so I still have the crazy ideas like maybe this will work, maybe that will work. I mean, I still get that. I still get crazy ideas about food, and I've been, I've been in maintenance since um, 2011. So, so I've been maintaining. I've had the same um, uh, pan size for, you know, like seven, seven, seven and a half years, which is like is miraculous for me. Like I've never, yeah. I've never, well, I never imagined that that would be possible um, because I was always, you know, I had the, I had the jeans or the, that fit me when I wanted a certain weight and then uh, obviously the loose clothes when I, when I wasn't um, at the weight that I wanted to be. And I was always buying, I mean, I, I think towards the end there, I had to go to the, you know, the big and, the big and, ta- the big and tall store, you know, in West Covina. And I was over there and being resentful that I had to, 
you know, go to a whole different type of... St- I was... That was the first time, I mean, that it started hitting. You know, later in years, that's when, I mean, I guess I didn't get the message early on. You know, I didn't get the message of lifelong trying to control my food and all the demoralization of another failed attempt at um, uh, trying to control my weight. I mean, that that was one of the mile markers for me is when I, I can't shop at Macy's. You know what I mean? There's nothing there that would fit me. I had to go to a whole other store to actually get fitted um, that was, yeah, that was pretty eye-opening for me. I still remember it today, but, and I had, um, I had a point. I was joking. I always, one of the things that the downsides of being an overeater, I get distracted real easy and, um, I lose my train of thought. So if I was on a course somewhere and I, and I dropped it, I, I apologize. What? Macy's. Oh Yeah. <laughs> Well, I was just talking about how that was a, mar- a mile marker for me that, you know, getting to a place where, where you, couldn't, you couldn't shop. And I was like, how is it that there's no bigger size? Like, that's ridiculous. Like, you just get the next bigger. You can't run out of sizes, I, you know? It's like, what, can you look in the back or something, you know? It was, uh, so... But that was one of the mile markers for me, um, getting up to uh, being a compulsive overeater. But I will talk about, you know, how how I know at least, like I said, I'm still a compulsive overeater, and I still have to come here every day, and I want to come here every day. Um, um, but but um, the one thing is, is that even though I've maintained a certain weight, you know, for a long time, that I've had a certain physical body size, you know, a pant size. It, that is still not the answer for me today, and I know that because at you know at twenty one, twenty two, you know I was uh, I was in the military, I was in the Marine Corps. I mean, they got me in shape, you know they and they and like I said, I was willing to work. So I'm I'm like a I'm I'm a workaholic. I mean I'm that's just I mean I binge on everything, you know. Um, OA was my first program, and I won't go into any other ones. But I, I all all to say that money, food, and relationships are the areas that I, that just I are. I mean, everything's unmanageable, but those are the ones I act out on the most. So, um, so I was in the military. They they helped me um, get to the. I had a twenty nine inch waist. Um, I was in the best shape of my life. I had a, a fiance, and we had a baby on the way. Uh, we had. We were renting a home to purchase. Uh, we had friends and family. We had our youth. We had, um, which, I mean, I still have, I mean, I'm, I don't know. Whatever. I don't want to say anything. <laughs> I'm older now, though. But, um, but uh, we had property. We had assets. I mean, you, I mean, you know, I had, um, I would, you know, I won like Marina the Quarter. I mean, I had accolades, you know. With you know, with words like you know, impeccable, and I believed all that. I mean, it was, it was just what it, all the things that I thought at growing up that would make me happy. You know, I was at the apex of my life in terms of things that I thought you know would make me happy. I love how in the twelve and twelve, you know, I think it's in step twelve, it talks about you know the true nature of I think either serenity or happiness, and that's like one of my favorite parts when it's just it's it's a series of if you would have asked me before coming into program, that little section of that reading sounds like a series of bland, like bland, like, you know, events, but today they are, um, today they are, you know, my, my definition of happiness, like meeting challenges squarely. Like, you know, I wanted a limo and girls and, uh, you know, a house on the hill. I didn't want to be, have the ability to, me challenges squarely with the help of others. You know what I mean? I mean, that's this not, you know, that wasn't my definition of, of happiness, you know? That wasn't my definition of happiness. I had a whole other definition prior to coming here. And thankfully, you know, through, with the help of this program, a sponsor that was, you know, uh, willing to take me on and, and kind of give me um, the program wholesale, you know, I've been able to discover that and am discovering, you know, what, what the sense of true serenity and happiness is for, is for me. So, um, what else was it? Was, well, so I'll talk a little bit about getting towards my bottom. So, uh, you know, if, you know, obviously the military, and I, and I got kicked out of the military cause I couldn't maintain my weight. I mean, everything that I tried 
the reason I talk about having something for so long, like since I've been in recovery, is because I never, it was all in flux. I mean, I would hold it, I would white knuckle it, I would try to get something going, but it was always up and down, up and down. There wasn't any, ever any consistency in my life. I couldn't finish anything. I didn't graduate from high school. I got kicked out of the military. You know, um, there was a conservation program that I left early. It, I was just like, I wanted to just put some some um, scores on the board. You know what I mean? I it, And it was, as as a male, it was, um, I mean, it affected me a lot. I know when I first came into the program, I thought the fourth step was going to tell me exactly what, you know, how much of a loser I really was, you know? It was going to, I thought it was going to, you know, pop up, like, you know, you write all this down and it pops up, coward, failure, you know what I mean? I thought, I mean, that was my reluctance to, and my fear around the four step, but I've discovered that, you know, it's not like that, you know, thankfully, right? Thankfully, that's not what the four step is all about. Um, But I had to go through enough pain to actually be willing to do the four step, you know, because, I mean, that's how I... You know, friend is the you know pain is 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 a is a good motivator for me. It's just that's just how I've been all my life. So, towards my bottom, you know, I uh, when food, you know, in addition to food becoming my you know, like soothing me and making things okay in the moment, thinking that you know the next meal is gonna like do it. If this one, if the one that I was eating at the moment wasn't gonna do it, then the next one would. You know, it was always a pursuit of that. But but besides that, there was always I always had to like try to get accolades from people. So I I had to achieve great things. I had to, you know, that's where the workaholism came in. And towards my bottom, I was living in my car uh, for about a year and a half. You know, over in 2007 uh, to 2000, 2006 to 2008, I was living in my car, and um, I I was a, a, a senior manager. You know, with a good a company, a national international company. I had three retail locations. I had four people that I, 40 people that I was managing in the multiple locations. And I was seen as a leader. And I was seen as a high achiever. Um, but, I, but all my money was going to food. And it was either pay rent or have the freedom to buy whatever food I wanted to, to buy. And, of course, it was a no-brainer. You know, live in my car and, and, and not have any restrictions on how I ate and, and what I could purchase. Um, and so I did that. And as, as an addict and as a compulsive overeater, I still thought that even, all, even, though, even though all my plans never came to fruition the way I wanted to, that I still had it under control. Like this was just a minor setback. I, you know, somehow, some way, I, you know, I'd come out of this. I'd come out of this. I'd make it out and here's how. And I always laugh at myself now because I'll, I'll, be in that, I'll be in that mode of thinking, you know what, Domingo, here's how you're going to do it. And then that's when I know I got to stop and maybe call somebody, you know. Here's how I'm going to do it. That's really been that. And um, I know that was a really big um, barrier to, to, to grow, to emotional. You know, when I first came into this program, I mean, I started seeing, I love the word recovery because I picture myself, you know, barefoot in a bathrobe, you know, with an IV, like, you know, not somebody in any condition to really take anything big on, you know, and so I really love that because that was how I came in here, you know, I had to let all, a lot of responsibilities go because I overextended myself, you know, in many ways, I took on a lot of, and then I became resentful because I couldn't meet them all, and why don't people understand how much I'm doing for everybody, you know, and um, so that was a big part of my story. But so there I was, you know, um, trying to figure out where I'm going to park the car to sleep every night. And um, that was pretty stressful, you know, not ha- having to go. Um, and I had a plan. This is what I'm going to do. You know, I have a Bally's and I'm going to go there and take a shower in the morning. I didn't plan on somebody from work seeing me there come in, you know, I, you know, I wearing the same clothes from the night before just to go in there and take a shower and get dressed so I can go back to work because I was living, you know, I was living in my car. So I did a geographic. I took some money out of my 401k. I was getting ready to get fired because this disease was just taking me down like fast. You know, I was, I, I was from a high achiever. I went, it's, it, it's the same story. Like when I went to high school, I went from the magnet school, which is like the super smart kids to the regular school, to the continuation, to, you know, you know, getting kicked out and not graduating. Like, that's how I do things. You know, I build it up and I bring it down. I build it up and I bring it down. And that's what I did here. I was a procrastinator. I had a reputation for 
always being late, uh, never a comp, you know, not, I was just, I mean, I, my boss one time had to come in and, uh, and say, you should do, and, and walk, walk me through my job one day. I had to call him because I was like, I, I don't know what to do first. Like, I mean, I was such, so, had so much anxiety, so much uh, frustration, anxiety, so much fear that I felt like my adrenaline valve was just open all the time. I didn't sleep. I've, I had um, uh, nightmares my whole life. I mean, it's just, it was on and on. All right. So let me get to the good stuff now. <laughs> This is, after all, I was wondering what topic I was going to pick, and I realized, you know, um, the fourth dimension. And I was like, okay, I think I can share a little bit about that. So I'll talk a little bit about what my life... So what happened? What happened is I did that geographic. I came over here, and I got a little bit of relief, but then started doing what I normally do. And I knew the difference was I stopped believing the lies that I was telling myself. That was the first step, is I stopped... I all I'm my I'm the addict and my own enabler. I'm my best enabler because I tell myself, you know, don't worry, this is just a minor setback. You know, you get on your feet. You know, things will be good. Things aren't as bad as they seem. So, but and I stopped believing that. So one day I just became open. Um, the lady who cut my hair told me about Overeaters Anonymous. She was actually talking about another uh, food program, but I heard Overeaters Anonymous, and I went home that day. And I don't know why it stuck, but I, I was just open. You know, I was just open. If somebody, if, any, if, if a hobo would have told me, hey, go to, you should go to OA, I would have said, okay. Like, I was, like, just ready. You know, I was, at that point, I had gotten the gift of desperation. And my ears were open, like, for the first time. And um, I went, somebody, I looked on the line. What was closest to me was a Sunday, I think, 10 or 10.30 in, um, in St. Jude Hospital in Fullerton. And that was my first meeting and became my, uh, one of my regulars. Um, after 30 days, and that's where I, I heard, you know, three meals a day and nothing in between. So I tried it. You know, I said, I didn't know about sponsor. You know, if you, I don't know if there's anyone new here, but, you know, we, got a, we have a lot of terms, and I didn't know what abstinence was, HP, higher power, anything like that. But I knew that it looked like, you know, people, like, knew something was going on, and I wanted to figure out what the answer was. I was just waiting for someone to drop to drop it in my lap or somebody would somebody would let go of the key i heard a lot of good stuff but i didn't hear the key but i did hear three meals a day nothing between so that's that was my first abstinence and it worked i mean the first 30 days just doing three meals a day and nothing in between but the meals i didn't put any limit on them i didn't do anything i just i would i because prior to that i didn't have meals just anything i ate from midnight to about 10 a.m. was breakfast. Anything from, you know, 10 to 4 was lunch. And anything from 4 and after was dinner. It wasn't, you know, it wasn't a meal. There wasn't the set meal where I would sit down and eat. It's just, it's just, it just went on. So, um, so I tried it. And it was, it was hard. I white-knuckled it. And I knew it worked. Uh, I lost like 10 pounds like my first month, but I knew that I couldn't, um, I wasn't going to maintain that. So some guy, I was in a meeting and I'd looked, I saw, I'd seen this guy, you know, and they were starting to talk about if you're new here, you should find someone who has what you want. And this guy was, had lost more weight than I had ever weighed. He had maintained it for four years and he, he looked pretty relaxed. I always joke, I hope he doesn't mind, but that he was, I saw him napping in meetings. So I knew he was relaxed, you know? <laughs> And um, I said, you know what? I want to be able to lose weight, maintain it, and be relaxed. You know, because, and you, you know, and he, he was having a good time. He was, he was funny, and he just was, seemed to be enjoying life. And so I said, I, that's what I want. So I asked him to be my sponsor. He said, yeah, call me at 6 a.m. the next day. I called him. He said, I look, I have, he let me talk for a little bit. And he said, I just have one question for you. Are you now willing to go to any lengths for your recovery? And I said, yeah. I didn't know what I was getting myself into. I mean, nine plus years later, here I am. Um, but I would have been in the Marines. How bad could it be? You know what I mean? I mean, what was he going to ask me to do? So, you know, that's, where, that's one instance. The only instance I can remember that where bravado, you know, got me someplace. Other than that, no. You know, um, bravado 99, Domingo 1. That's, I'll say that. So, um, but he gave me, you know, I always say this and I really, and, and all I do is I do what he did. You know, when I take on a new sponsor, I just do, do what he did. 
hey, okay, here's, I just read it off a script. You know, here's the whole program, like unapologetically. You know, one of the things he says, um, you know, this is a program of action, not opinions. You know, your opinion, you know, didn't work. It's not going to work now. And it's like, uh, okay. And uh, he just gave it to me. Here's how many meetings. Here's who you're going to call. You're going to call this people. You're going to call in your food. This is what you're going to eat for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. You know, here's some suggestions where to purchase this. Um, if you're going to go eat out at, at a restaurant, go to this restaurant, get this meal. You're going to order this. You're going to tell them that. You're going to, man, it was, I mean, I was writing like just like, like crazy. And uh, he said, don't worry, I'll send you all this afterwards. So, you know, um, don't worry about taking down all the notes. But I was, I was there, you know, I was there and I, and it was a new place and, and I was thankful to be willing and I just started doing it. And, and, and this is where the fellowship came, really came in is I started meeting other people who were doing the same thing I was, you know, being in OA had started, had an abstinence, had a food plan, were working with sponsors, and 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 um, I started going to a home group, the Pizza Box in um, La Habra, and I went there for several years. And when somebody, you know, would have a, a a birthday, we would like if they liked flowers, we'd have like a flower, you know, birthday celebration. It was it was really a unique experience, you know. One of the things I'll say, I talked about service. You know, I was, when I was, before I asked my sponsor to be my sponsor, I was looking through the literature table and um, he said, he came up to me, you know, he's probably 12-stepping me. Hey, yeah, that's a good book. I said, yeah, I didn't, I didn't have the money. You know, I, I still had my money issue. And uh, he goes, yeah, well, me, you know, maybe later. And then I, I walked, it was the end of the meeting. I walked out and he came back and he said, hey, here, I bought this book for you. You know, and that was like my, and that really, Back then, I would have thought, I mean, before coming into the program and all that, I would have thought he was a weirdo. You know, he was trying to sell me something. But I think I was open to actually being helped, you know, like being touched. I was very touched by someone taking the initiative to, you know, to want to help me out like that way. Before OA, helping me out was actually um, rude to me. You know, it was, what were you, were you trying to say I can't do it on my own? You know, like, why are you... Um, being rude to me, you know, it was, it was an affront to me, you know, um, and plus I couldn't take the, all the credit if you were helping me out, you know, I mean, that was another downside to it. I'd have to say somewhere, admit somewhere that, you know, I, that somebody helped, had to help me out and I couldn't figure out or do it all on my own. So I started coming into OA. Um, we started working the steps after 30 days. He said, you know, raise your hand as a newcomer for the first 30 days. After that, um, we'll start working this, you know, the steps. I didn't know that I, he, I had already been working the steps, you know. Step one, you know, admitting that I had a problem. Being willing to follow a, a, a food plan, you know, realizing that, hey, my way wasn't working. Just trying to trust somebody, you know. Step two, maybe, some, maybe someone can relieve me or... Um, Restore me to sanity. And I always laugh because there's no... Prior to program, even when I was young, you know, I'm being introduced to sanity, not being restored to it. Because um, <laughs> this is all... This is all... I mean, that was all new. And, you know, during st- multiple steps of my program, like when I talk... You know, when we talk about the fourth dimension, were places I had been there before. Okay, I, I'm at a goal weight. I've been here before. How is it going to be in recovery now, you know, hey, going to parties, how, how is a party going to be in recovery, um, getting promotions at work, how is getting a promotion, or worse, or not worse, but more challenging when I lost my job, how is losing a job, you know, how is, um, I, had a, I had a blood disease, and this program helped me have the courage and my sponsor and fellowship to go and actually go and get treatment for it, and get cured for it, which, my doctor recently told me is kind of like sh- nothing short of a miracle. And, and let me tell you, uh, share something. You know, it's a physical part. But so I went to go to, uh, this is a side thing. So I'm talking about fourth dimension. All right, I'm putting a little note. This is, I went to, I had this blood disease. And I found out before coming into program that I had it. And I tried, I tried the treatment. And six months later, I just kind of gave up. There wasn't any real big progress. After coming into program, I went to go get checked again. They said, yep, it's still there. It's, it's bad, you know. And um, I waited like a year before I had the courage to go back and get treatment again. In that time, I, I, I came to program. I started working the steps. I started, you know, experiencing recovery. 
by the time I went back, you know, the level of, of that disease in my blood was down 75%, like with no medication or no treatment. So, I mean, I really credit OA, yeah, as, as, um, as helping me heal in that way, which is not something I traditionally think of, but, it, but I definitely credit it because, you know, the stress had gone out, the, the fear had gone out, I had stopped. I started having dreams about walking around, you know, naked and being comfortable with it versus having, you know, reoccurring nightmares, you know. I would, you know, I'd be watering the lawn and people would be passing by. And I know I didn't have pants on, but it didn't matter, like, you know. And I, you know, and it, that, 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 that just demonstrated to me, like, you know, how comfortable I be, you know, that OA helped me to become, you know. I don't do that in my real life. That's just a dream. But, but, um... You know, but prior to that, I had reoccurring nightmares and, and anxiety. You know, so a lot of, um, when we talk about fourth dimension, it's hard to talk about the fourth dimension um, uh, because, because it's, it goes back to that, that, that paragraph in the, in the 12 traditions. You know, I mean, I'm comfortable in traffic. That's the, I mean, for me, that's the fourth dimension, you know, um, I could, you know, my money's stable. That's, I mean, uh, I pay my bills on time. Um, I, I mean, you know, I don't know. Okay, five minutes? No, two minutes. Oh, two minutes. All right. So I guess what I'm trying to tell you is that, you know, for today, what is really the fourth dimension to me is that, um, is that things, I don't have to be, you know, the superstar in a limo to be serenely, happy and comfortable with myself and others, you know. Um, I just get to be brought back to be human again. You know, prior to coming into this program, I felt, I had, I had ruined my life so bad, I felt, um, what's that word? I'm losing that word. I disqualified from life. I thought maybe I'll eke out a semi-miserable living versus a miserable living, and I'll take that. But I didn't know that I would be restored to just being you know, human, like, you know, I, jo- I got to join the human race, you know, step six and seven, um, where, you know, who needs God when you don't have character defects? Thankfully, I have character defects, you know, I still need to come here every day. Those still show up, they still pop up, and I get to just be restored, if anything, restored to, to humanity, you know, thankfully, you guys are all my brothers and sisters, um, not just in recovery, but um, I love all you guys, and thank you guys for what you have done for me, what this program has done for me. I'm really sorry about the timer. There's supposed to be a placard in here that you hold up that says five minutes, but it's not in here. So, in the very front, like in here, ah. This is what I was supposed to do, Domingo. Okay. Um, So I want you to help me thank our, or present our second speaker, who is Emmy, who has been in over 40 years and was one of the very first speakers that I heard when I came into Overeaters Anonymous. So welcome, Emmy. My name is Emmy, and I am a compulsive overeater. I earned my seat here. Uh, My top weight was over 220 pounds-ish. I don't know for sure. Uh, And for me, I never thought that I could do anything. I was raised by Archie Bunker. And for those of you who aren't old enough to know that name... My parents, mostly my father, hated anything that wasn't a white Catholic. And um, you had to use contour diapers also because we didn't have cl- we didn't have paper diapers. So, but there was a certain diaper that you had to use, and there was a certain car you had to drive, and you had to be this way and that way. And they always called me um, stupid, and they called me lard ass and loudmouth. 
Yeah, you know. <laughs> and I, uh, as, a, as a young child, I would say 12-ish, 13-ish, I decided I no longer wanted to live, so I attempted suicide by taking six aspirins because I was told, don't ever take more than two aspirins because you'll die. You know, don't touch the mercury in the thermometer because you'll die. I ate the mercury. And, you know, there's that skull and bones on bleach. And I added a capful to water because I, I didn't want to taste it. So I drank it with water, and that didn't work. Um, I had rheumatic fever, and I was in bed for two years. And the only time my mom let me get up is when I baked. Um, I love to cook. I love to eat. Uh, I still love to cook, and I still love to eat. And since my suicide attempts didn't work, I just got larger and larger and larger. I joke about it because I, I, I think it's funny the way that it happened for me. I could look down and not see my feet because my breasts were so large. And my, my wedding dress of my first marriage, I've had a couple, just a few, just a few. Um, there's not going to be any more, so don't worry. No one worry. Mostly me. Um, it was a size 22 and a half. And it was the traditional with the long train, you know. And the longer the train, I thought the thinner I looked. Um, that wasn't true. And, you know, I think we got my bra at uh, Kmart because it was like Madonna with the stitching and it was all pointed. So I had these breasts that came out like this, like torpedoes you know, with all of this lace and fluff. And the thing that kind of like ruined my wedding day was my mom told me that if I had had sex before I got married, that there would be a black mark on my dress. I looked and looked and looked. <laughs> was not there. I even checked the petticoat and the, thing, and the hoop skirt that came out. You know, there was no black mark. I was figuring like it was a dot, you know, but we didn't have sticky dots, so I imagined someone would take a pin a pen. Um, and I, I married Richard. I knew him um, two days when he proposed, and we were married um, two months later. And, be, you know, who's going to have me? I was 19 years old. I was over 200 pounds with huge breasts, and he wore white socks all the time, and they were always clean. So I knew, there, I knew it was a marriage mate in him. <laughs> so I really didn't have anything to live for. With, with my husband, I had three beautiful children. And uh, again, what I always say is I had a blonde husband and three blonde kids and a blonde dog. And I lived in Reseda in a two-bedroom house with a great big backyard. And I no longer wanted to live. My pants were rubbing together. You know, you know the story. Um, now, some people are grazers. Some people eat a little too much. I, my uh, standard meal would like I'd eat a couple of chickens for lunch, a couple of pounds of bacon with ketchup. I like ketchup and bacon. Um, you know, I ate bags. I, I, I don't know a little bit. Today I know a little bit, but I don't eat things like that. Uh, but it, I couldn't get any relief, so I decided to commit suicide um, with the three kids and the dog and, and Richard, because I knew that they would be better off without me. I really believe that because I didn't feel that I had anything to give this family, even though it was everything I ever wanted. I really wanted a big family. I wanted 12 kids. Unfortunately, I had four, and, and I lost one. Uh, he didn't live long. And just nothing was right. And so I decided to commit suicide, because now I knew about slitting my wrists. And in 1975, um, on a Sunday, I read Dear Abby, and she talked about Overeaters Anonymous. Well, I was so excited. I, my husband was making a sandbox for the kids, and I ran out and I pointed to the article. And I went the very, I went the very next day because I knew that I was a compulsive overeater. I got it. She talked about it. And I believe nobody makes it in this program. Nobody makes it in this program unless they're desperate. Because I didn't care. I, I didn't care. And so I went to a meeting, and the speaker was Dottie Shore, 
and they had all these wackadoodle people in there. And um, they were talking about being mentally ill and weird. And this lady had dyed red hair and great big hoop earrings. And my mommy said that if you wear hoop earrings, you're a whore. <laughs> and just to follow that up with the truth, I was never allowed to have patent leather shoes because the boys could see up my dirt and see my panties. I now have a lot of patent leather shoes. <laughs> and I don't like panties. <laughs> I don't know how people wear those things with all that elastic. And my God, it choke you off with the legs. I can't stand them. But that's beside the point. That has nothing to do with compulsive overeating. But I didn't know that I didn't like panties until I was abstaining. The blessings of the program. <laughs> anyway, she said, well, I went to Dottie Shore, and I says, you know, I'm just a fat housewife. And I want you to know that that was um, the first time I drove in the dark because I didn't have a driver's license. I, I didn't drive until I was 28 years old. I just turned 28 when I got my driver's license. And uh, my husband used to write a check, and he would drop me off at the grocery store, and he'd pick me up in an hour. This is when you could write a check for somebody and not... I didn't have ID. I didn't have a driver's license. And whatever my husband said, I did. Because that's just the way it was. He was he's a nice man. We're not married, but he's still a nice man. And so I walked in. I went... She says, Overeaters Anonymous meets here tomorrow night. I go, oh, God. I get away from these nuts. I, they really were crazy. Well, I went to OA on um, the next night the second time I drove in the dark. And here was this people. That red hair was there with the damn earrings, too. And some of those same people that were in this crazy meeting, they were in this meeting. Scared me. Really did scare me. And then there was this lady. And I'm going to lose it here, you know. I could just... Those of you who knew Natalie, raise your hand. Yeah. Natalie was the very first speaker... And she was up there, and I thought, God, is she old. You know, I'm 28. She had to be at least 40. <laughs> and she says, I'm here for you people, you people, that have stepped on a raisin, backed up, dusted it off, and ate it. And I've never left. And I heard the word fuck in the meeting. And I always wanted to say those words, but I wasn't allowed to say that words because I would burn forever in hell. Besides, besides the white panties and the patent leather shoes and the hoop earrings, when I was eight years old, I touched myself and my mother caught me and she says, you're going to go to hell. So there was no way there was any God in my life. And I went to parochial school. You know, and of course, my interpretation of what they taught was totally different, which I'm sure they did. I don't know. I'm a recovering Catholic also. So I went to this meeting, and I got a sponsor, and she says, call me tomorrow at 3.30. Uh, it was a gray sheet. You eat three meals a day and nothing in between. And in the back of the, when, when, you, when you walked in the door, and at the back of the room, they had this huge sign that says, abstinence is the most important thing in, in my life. And today that is still true. There is nothing more important to me than abstaining. I've lost 83 pounds and kept it off, and I've been abstaining for 42 years. And it really has everything to do with the 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous. Because I had no other way to live. I didn't have any tools. You know, some people, they have tools. They know right and wrong. And they know how to say things, and how to behave themselves. Remember, I come from being a lard-ass, loudmouth, and stupid. I graduated from high school, but I didn't go any further because in 19, when I graduated from high school in 65, I had a couple of choices. Teacher, wife, mother. I mean, uh, nurse. That was it. You didn't go to college unless you wanted your MRS degree. Period. You know? And nobody wanted me. I tried to join the Navy. I want you to know, because I thought, where are you? I thought, like you, 
they'll get me in shape. I can lose weight because they, they feed you. I don't have to do anything. And so I went to the recruiting office in Reseda, California, and I told them I wanted to be in the Navy because my daddy was in the Navy, you know. And we're a Navy family. And so uh, they said, why do you want to be in the Navy? I said, well, uh, I, I want to be, be a sailor. You know, I want to I be, I, what did I know? And he says, um, well, you're a little young. I was 16. And I says, I'm really concerned about one thing, though. And he says, what it is? Honest to God, this is the truth. I says, I heard from them. I don't know who them are. And I think they're relatives to the they. I said that they, that they use broomsticks because there's no men in the, in the girls' navy. Or hot dogs. He says, I don't think the Navy's going to work for you. I swear to God. But then again, don't forget about the patent leather shoes and the white panties and the hoop earrings. I was absolutely terrified about that. I was so terrified about sex. So when Richard met me, we had sex, we had sex on the second date. I think it was the first date, but I don't who, who knows. It's been so long ago. So I had this thing about sex also, you know, it just, I, I didn't, I just didn't know. I just didn't know. So I came in, and I got this sponsor, and we didn't have sticky notes because I'm really old in this program. We didn't have sticky notes. So if I didn't call, if I, when I called and she wasn't home, her children would write out my food <laughs> and t- scotch tape it to her kitchen counter. Again, true story. Then she told me I needed a step sponsor. Well, I was still going to the church of my family's choice, and I met this, saw this lady. She was, um, I knew she was in my carpool. You know, I, I knew that she was, one, she was one of me. And um, I found out that she was a Jew. I almost had a heart attack because uh, I'd never even hugged one. Uh, and she'd been sponsoring me for a couple of weeks couple, or a couple of months. Who, who can tell? Um, and I had to call her on Tuesdays and Thursdays at 8 o'clock. And if I missed it, I, I missed her because she went to school. She, she was in college. She worked full-time, and she had four children, and she had a husband. So I got, a, I got a, a allotment time. And then I found out she was Jewish, and I, I had to get rid of her because, you know, what are you going to do with it? I mean, what are you going to do with a Jew? <laughs> I mean, oh, and I mean this jokingly because I really thought they had horns, and I really thought all of those things that I was raised with, why would it be any different? You didn't talk about religion in Overeaters Anonymous. You know, we said the Lord's Prayer. That's, that's the right thing to do, right? When you pray, that's the prayer you say. So I, I met her um, on a Tuesday night before the meeting because I was going to tell her she couldn't be my sponsor anymore. And because I'm a chicken shit coward, she's still my sponsor. <laughs> True story. True story. And this woman who... I was told is a damnation has taught me more about love, compassion, consideration, self-respect. I have been given patience, tolerance for my life. I still eat three meals a day. I do not eat in between. I, you know, eating, I, I don't do snacks. I don't know how to stop at snacks. What is two ounces for a snack? I'm not going to swear because it's on tape. But you can know the word that I'm going to say. It starts with F and it ends with K. And I I just could never understand that. But they gave me the gray sheet and I followed it because I was thrilled to death. And the other thing that I loved is somebody wanted to talk to me every day. The food sponsor. She wanted to talk to me. Somebody wanted to hear what I had to say. That was unbelievable to me. I, they liked me just because of who I was, Emmy. Not for babysitting for them or sewing for them. Oh, that's another issue. I tried to sew once. I didn't follow the directions because, you know, I didn't wash the material before I washed it. And, of course, I couldn't read a pattern well because I have dyslexia. And, you know, trying to get these things to fit didn't work. So I put the zipper in the armpit, and then I washed the dress, and it came out all sideways. (laughs) And I tried to make stretch and sew underpants because that was the thing to do. 
and I broke the needle on the elastic, and I've never made another pair. I quit, I quit sewing. It's not worth it. So to tell you where I am today, I have been married three times and divorced three times. They're still alive. And I married alcoholics. My brother's an alcoholic. My sister's an alcoholic, sober. My dad was an alcoholic. He is dead. My grandfather died of alcoholism. I have an alcoholic son, and I married three alcoholics. Um, so it's kind of like in the, I don't like to be drunk. It's no fun. I don't, you know, like it. I'd rather have a vat of popcorn. I'd rather have two gallons of ice cream. And I ate in volume. I mean, really volume. Um, I had gangrene in the intestines, and they took out uh, half of my intestines. And the doctor says, do not eat anything really cold. Don't eat anything really hot. Don't eat anything with seeds. And within four hours, I had eaten a half gallon of ice cream, strawberry, with seeds. <laughs> I'm, I'm amazed that I'm alive. So today, today I own my own home. I've owned two homes on my own, which I never thought was possible. I worked for a car dealership for over 20 years. I I held a position of power and prestige. And I'm stupid. I'm not stupid, but you know what I mean. And the thing is that I did have an ability and I did have a talent, but I didn't know that because... I wasn't raised with tolerance and patience and kindness. I was raised in this program by a woman who truly cared for me as I care for mine. Because this program, we have to love each other to wellness. I know sponsors that are Gestapos. Some of the things I hear from the podium or what someone says, it just astounds me. Because I would have never come around if somebody talked to me or treated me that way. Never. I I would have gone home and slipped my wrist because now I know how to do that. Today, you know, my sponsor um, my sponsor told me that she asked me, she says, can you write a minute a day? Well, everybody can write a minute a day. How hard is that? took me a while to find the right pen and paper, but... <laughs> Who in this room knows big five Indian wood pulp paper? Oh, my God, this is all... Oh, my God, this is pathetic. It's wood pulp paper, the kind you used in grade school that you wrote your letters on. Thank you. There you go. I, I still write on this. Of course, when I order the tablet on Amazon, it's four fifty a tablet. They used to be a quarter. So I started writing a minute a day, and she asked me once, she says, because I had, you know, I was a daycare mother at the time, and I had all these kids, my kids and other people's kids, and she says to me, do you think that you could get up 15 minutes in the morning before the kids? Oh, no, I can't do that. She says, how come? I says, well, because Richard has the alarm clock. I, honest to God, I know you don't believe me, but it's the truth. You can ask her. Um. And she says, well, Emmy, did you ever think of getting your own alarm clock? I got my own alarm clock. I felt like a grown-up. I Really, I felt like a grown-up. So I was getting up 15 minutes before the children. And I would go in and sit on the edge of the couch because we had a couch. Didn't have a coffee table, but we had an end table. And I had my coffee and my Benson and Hedges, and I would sit there for 15 minutes, and I would, I would read the big book, the 12 and 12, Alan on one day at a time, and I would write one minute. And she told me how to write, and that's what I did, and I still do it to this day. And that is how she has, that's how I was raised. Can you? I go, yes, I can do a minute a day. Now, the funny part about this, I'm going to bring you to up to two years ago, is um, I became an author. And when I opened the box with my book and my name on my book, and it said Emmy Sims, I called my sponsor and said, you're such a bitch. And she goes, why? I says, who would have thought a minute a day would have made me an author? And, you know, it is a miracle. This program is a miracle. I drive today. I've driven all over this state and several states for a job that I had um, before I retired. And 
Who would, I, I was terrified to get on a freeway. I can drive anywhere now. I'm, I may go see my niece in Texas. I'm excited about driving to Texas. Why not? I don't have the fears that I had. I don't have the, uh, maybe they were anxieties. I, I don't think that word was invented when I came in. I think that's a new word for scared shitless. <laughs> and I'm not scared anymore. Sure, I wake up and I worry about money. It says that I'm going to do that. It said, you know, it'll come and go. And am I, I just know that somehow this power greater than myself which I choose to call God because I can't find a better word, is going to take care of me and you. How? I don't know. There's an old AA. I went to a lot of AA meetings in the beginning because we didn't have them in OA speakers. And Bobby Earl once said, if, if I knew God, if I knew about God, he would be very limited. There's no way I can understand this source doesn't make sense to me it's not it doesn't compute in my brain that he would care about me and you and you and you and can do it all at once I mean I can multitask but that's got to really be a big job I don't know how it's possible and I didn't get on my knees for a long time probably in rebellion but I heard a speaker uh oh about six months ago talk about character defects. And, and I have quite a few. And I, the, the wonderful thing about abstaining today and doing what I do today, give service, go to meetings, it's not any different than when I came in. There's, there's no relaxed, there's no vacation. I have a, a, a meditation book at my boyfriend's house. I have a boyfriend now. And he's not an alcoholic. Yay! And he doesn't live with me. Yay! We do have sex. Yay! Not as often because we don't live together, and I'd rather, I will, I will give that up for every once in a while rather than all the time because I don't want anybody, I don't want to live with anybody anymore. Because... I'm so comfortable with Emmy Sims. I'm comfortable. I like who I am today. I have self-respect today. And Bobby used to say, if you want to have self-respect, do what the person that you respect does. And that's what I have done. There are so many wonderful role models in Overeaters Anonymous. And there's, I, I listen to tapes and I've read all the literature, you know, I cannot tell you how many times I've read the big book. And I have different big books. I mean, they're different edition, but I mean, I've got, I've got nine big books. And every year I start a new one. Not a new book, but one that I have on my shelf. And there's things that I knew that were not there. I was talking to Shirley one day, and she said, frothy emotional peel. I says, where did you get that from? She says, it's in the big book. I says, no, it's not. She goes, yes, it is. I go, where? She says, well, I guess you're going to have to find it. I hate that shit. That's like my mother, I say to my, I, I, I'm a very poor speller. And I'd ask my mom how to, thank you, to spell a word. And she says, look it up. Thank God for the dictionary that I can talk in my phone and it tells me what the word is. So... Today, I'm happy, joyous, and free. I'm thrilled to be asked to speak here. It's an honor. It is an honor for me wherever I'm asked to speak or lead or clean up the coffee cups or put the chairs up or take somebody to a meeting. I always raise my hand to say I'll sponsor. Very few people call me because I believe in work in this program by the big book. I'm one of those big book thumpers. But I, I just know this works. There's nothing else I want. Being that I have been here long enough, I have never, ever, ever seen anyone walk through that door, say, God damn it, Emmy, I ate 
four gallons of ice cream, two chocolate cakes, and I've been eating like a pig for six months, and I feel great. (laughs) Never. It's always been incomparable demoralization. And they say, how did I get there? And all I can do is unfold them in my arms because I was there. And I know without a shadow of a doubt, I'm only one bite away. There's five things I do not eat no matter what. No matter what. I don't eat popcorn. I did vats in the morning. I don't eat peanut butter. I did four, five, six, seven peanut butter and jelly sandwiches in the morning. And to top it off with popcorn. White bread. Wonders white bread. Unless I made it myself. I don't eat ice cream. I don't eat chocolate. I don't eat potato chips. The last potato chip I had was when God didn't answer my prayer to have the Vietnam War gone. I, I gave up chocolate for a year because, you know, because that's how I was raised. If you say a certain prayer at a certain time for a certain period of time, God will grant you your wish. I wanted the war to be over. Um, and that didn't happen. So that night, I ate a bag of Ruffles potato chips. It was probably more than one bag because the roof of my mouth bled. And popcorn. Potato chips, popcorn, and chocolate. And a diet RC. And that is the truth. That is the truth. You know, I, I would make, because I didn't drive, I, would, I, would, I made, I cook. I, you know, I'd make a cake a day. A wacky cake, Chocolate. You know, one of those big loaf pans, those of you who, you know, and I would sliver it away all day. I never ate in the middle of the night because that was just tacky. You You have to be a lady when you eat. So I would eat it a slice or a piece or a bite, and it would be done by the time I went to bed. And I have to make another one in the next morning, you know. So I don't do those things anymore. I have friends today. I mean, I have true friends. When I came in, Peggy Mahoney was my friend in Sybil. Sybil and I went to grade school together, and I was in her wedding. I have a picture of, uh, in, her, in her wedding party. Uh, I used to dye my hair. I, I started turning gray in high school, so I'm really not as old as I am. It's a joke. And we dyed our hair red. All of the girls, the five maid of honors, all had red hair. My dress was a size 20, and they put a panel down the back and a great big bow to cover my ass. Didn't work. The bow didn't hide anything. But in the pictures with Sybil and the five maid of honors, I thought I looked just like them because I had red hair in the same dress. From the back, from the back, you couldn't see the bow. In fact, I think anybody that saw me in the wedding thought I was special because I was the only one who had a bow. It never dawned on them. They had to put a panel down there to... Because they didn't, what did you say? Where's the big sizes? And I wear, I I used to wear uh, chunky clothes. Robert E. Hall in Canton, Ohio. And it was an ugly plaid. They had gray and blue plaid, or they had gray and red plaid. Those were our two choices. And they had gathers at the waist, which accented my and my hips as a young girl. I couldn't be in my sister's wedding because at 12 they didn't have a dress to fit me because they didn't have those sizes. They didn't, they didn't, have, they didn't have girls with great big bajugas at 12 years old. I thought I would lose my bajugas after I lost my weight. didn't. They just got lower. <laughs> you know, <laughs> all that stuff that held them up. It's great in the spa, though, because I got a great body in the spa. Yeah, because everything floats really nice. <laughs> And I used to swim naked, and they says, well, aren't you going to be, what if they see you? I says, listen, from that height, I look great. Don't have to worry about it. And today I'm okay with my body image, you know. It's never going to be perfect. Never going to be perfect. There isn't a perfect. There's no chapter to perfect in the big book. I have looked. There is no chapter. Perfect is in our mind. Perfect is from my church. Perfect is from my parents. Perfect, perfect isn't, is, is a foreign word. All it can do is destroy me. So I don't want to be perfect. I just want to be happy. And today I am. I'm one of the happiest people I know. I laugh an awful lot, sometimes just at myself. 
I don't know if any of you here, and you have to raise your hand if you've done this. I am looking all over for my cell phone the other day. It is in my hand. <laughs> Thank you. Oh, my God. And I just sat down and laughed until I could cry. And today I don't, I don't take things so serious. I mean, I just don't take things serious. I have wonderful friends. I, I, tonight I have a, a date with, with um, Billy. Billy's my date tonight. And then I got to sit between another, another guy. I was lucky I had two guys. I've never done that, and I'm not going to, so don't even talk about it. <laughs> I have no desire. I don't share. So I'm, I'm back there sitting between Terrell and Billy, and I'm in hog heaven. I'm in hog heaven looking at the faces. And my friends that I haven't seen in so long that just touched my heart, you know, years. And that's the beauty of being around and staying. It can't be any worse than what we were doing out there. It can't be. This is, this is home for me. And you know what? I have an active life. I never read except the big book. I didn't read a book for pleasure. I belong to a book club, have for 10 years. I own the average of five books a month. How does that happen? How does that happen? How did, how did this child at 28 come in who thought she was nothing but dog done that nobody wanted? I married a man I didn't know. I'm walking down the aisle, and my dad says he's got his hand in his vest. He says, you want a drink? I, I didn't have a drink until... In my 40s, I just didn't drink. Every once in a while, I'd have something. And I'm looking down the aisle, and I see this guy, and I don't even know this man. I'm going to marry this man. I don't even know who he is. And now I'm his friend. And he calls me when he's, he's in trouble. He's had five wives. Thank you very much. Please keep coming back. Please don't give up. If you want to eat, call me. Call me before you eat, because we can do this. We could, and we can't do it alone. Thank you so much. All right. Thank you very much, Emmy and Domingo. Thank you again. Um, I have just a couple of quick announcements. Sylvia, our fundraising chair, is going to come up. There's strips on this side, Sylvia. Sylvia.